I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to... Jasmine Chase. Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Now, you are a geochemist, right? What on earth is a geochemist? Yeah, so a geochemist um, really looks at the Earth's processes, geological processes, but from the chemistry point of view. So we think about why things are happening on a chemical level and how we can use chemistry to understand the larger processes that happen on our Earth. Oh, so it's not just like the chemistry of the rocks. It's also using the chemistry to figure out the uh, the movements. Under the- yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think that's a really big misconception about geology in general is we spend all of our time looking at rocks, which does happen. Um, but no, geochemistry spans really everything on the surface of our Earth. We talk about atmosphere. Um, we talk about, you know, our relationship with the environment, as well as talking about what goes on beneath the surface of our Earth and even conjecturing on what we might find in our solar system and beyond our own planet. So it really, it's a super, super broad topic and it can encompass almost anything you can think of. Cool. <laughs> I'm always um, surprised when I hear that our geologists are looking at other planets in the solar system uh, because we always think of geologists as being people who look down at the ground and um, space people is looking up at the sky, but really there's a lot of crossover between them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, unless you're thinking about things in terms of geologic time, um, you don't really realize that the study of our Earth is also the study of our own galaxy. And, you know, often when we talk about the way things are, when we really go back to the beginning, we go back to the formation of our galaxy and we go back even further than that. And so from that point of view, it makes a lot of sense to extrapolate and talk about other planets that would have formed along the same lines. And we can describe why they may be different from ours. Cool. It's really fun. Now, you're a master's student right now. Um, What did you do before you started this program? Yeah, so I did my undergraduate degree in geology at the University of Calgary. Um, I graduated in 2020. And then during that time and afterwards, I worked as a researcher um, in a geochemical lab there, obviously a fairly junior researcher. And then I've only recently started my master's here in September of 2021. So Uh, Yeah, new to the program, new to Vancouver. Wonderful. Well, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) So you clearly love geology. Um, Why? What got you into it? Did you always want to be a a geologist? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I actually fell into geology completely by accident. Um, I was always pretty nerdy in high school. And I'd say, you know, I'd always been drawn to chemistry and physics and math and all of those slightly weird topics that people give you a a second glance when you say that they're your favorite. But when I was looking to go to university, I really didn't know um, where my interests lay. And out of a friend recommended geology. And honestly, she said that the community was great. Um, and it has a broad scientific base. So you study a lot of things outside of geology, especially at the beginning. And I, I thought that sounded wonderful. Um, I signed up for it and I took my first geology class. And I think 
I was about two labs in and we were looking at rocks and somebody t was talking about why they are the way they are from a chemical point of view. And I just thought this is this is perfect. Um, so that's that's how I found it. And I've, I've never looked back. <laughs> I have noticed that geologists do tend to be a really chill bunch, and I think it is because they spend so much time of their, their professional career outdoors and um, yeah, getting all that vitamin D. <laughs> Definitely. I think, yeah, I, I think it's a really a wonderful community. And, and you're right, people tend to also have a very cooperative um, atmosphere because obviously the earth is so broad, it's very, very difficult to talk about any single part of it without referring to what's all around, um, which means that there's really a lot of interpersonal relationships and you end up working with each other, which even as an undergraduate student is really, really nice. You bond with your peers. Um, you rely on them. Now, you're at the beginning of your career, um, hopefully a very long career, uh, but I'm curious. I noticed that with most people, um, most career paths aren't linear. You face setbacks and uh, change directions halfway through. Uh, have you faced any of those uh, challenges? Um, I mean, I would say, as you said, I'm I'm really new to my career, and I think I've been extremely fortunate in that the the thing I accidentally fell into at 18 is the thing that I'm still really passionate about, and I'd like to be involved in my entire life. So in that sense, my path has been really direct so far. Um, but I definitely have experienced my share of doubts and even within the field of geoscience it's vastly broad and I you know I debated for a long time about did I even want to pursue my master's or did I want to go out and work in the field somewhere um and you know I'm sure we'll talk about but I'm now looking at fish in fact which I would never have even imagined so I think Although I've been super fortunate and haven't encountered many roadblocks, it definitely has taken some twists and, twists and turns. And what tipped the, the scales in a master's program's favor instead of working in industry? Um, I really felt like, honestly, that I just, I was at the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I think geology in general, geoscience is really exciting because it's, there's so many recent developments. Um, I don't know, I like, I'm inspired by the fact that the theory of plate tectonics, which is really central to our understanding of how so many things work on the earth, it was developed, I mean, really within a lifetime of where we are now. So I think when I finished up my undergrad and I was drawn, obviously, to working for various reasons, but I felt like there was just so much that I didn't know and that there's so many opportunities to build on amazing work and also like discover something new. It was just unbelievably tempting. As a kid, I remember thinking um, and being a little dissuaded from the, the sciences because I thought everything's already been discovered. And so what's there left for me to find out? But with geology, it's such a young field. There's still a whole world for us to discover. Absolutely. And other worlds even as well. I mean, as we've, again, not I don't even study other planets, but I know I was in a lot of geoscientists were really watching the recent Mars missions with, you know, wide eyes because it's opening up a whole new realm that, of sampling that nobody had access to before. And yeah, I mean, we talk about how we've better mapped the surfaces of other planets from satellite images than we understand what goes on on our ocean floors and what goes on under the crust of the earth. So I think it's definitely, it's extremely exciting. And, and I think it's really easy to see those opportunities, maybe in some of the other fields, um, which have had more time to develop or have had a more public profile. 
um, it's harder to see where those innovations could take place, which can be really daunting. I've definitely found that daunting myself. Speaking of innovations, um, I know you, you haven't been researching for too, too long yet, but have you made any discoveries uh, that you'd care to share? Yeah, I think that one's hard for me because, as you said, I, I feel very <laughs> quite new to the field and new to, to research. Um, I mean, I had the opportunity in at the University of Calgary to uh, work on some alkaline lake sediments, which is not something people ever really talk about. They're uh, freshwater lakes, but they tend to have extremely elevated pH. They're very harsh environments. Um, and they're of particular interest to us nowadays because they can contain quite a lot of carbon and carbon dioxide. And obviously that, as we know, is a big, one of the big issues facing us in our current and our future. So it's really important to look at different ways that we might capture and store carbon from the atmosphere. Um, so I wouldn't say that I made any discoveries there, but I definitely was really excited to look at that. And um, we worked on a project where we actually came up with suggestions of future work that could be done. Obviously, we were COVID limited. We couldn't necessarily get out into the field. So we put a lot of effort into trying to figure out where the gaps in our knowledge were. Um, and that to me was even really exciting, again, to sort of lay out that path of where we might go in the future. That's really cool. Do we have a lot of those lakes in Canada? We do, actually. Um, they're quite prevalent, especially in places like Saskatchewan, uh, northern BC. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely like a modern Canadian environment and uh, affected by three freeze-thaw cycles. Extremely interesting, if, if anyone likes lakes. <laughs> Wonderful. Again, I'm always surprised what uh, geochemists are working on. Not at all what you'd expect. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's all over the board, really. Now, you mentioned that you're working on fish right now. Uh, what on earth are you doing with fish? Yeah, that's definitely something that has caught me totally by surprise. Um, never would I have imagined that that's where I'd end up. So um, I'm joining a group of peers and previous uh, graduate students, researchers at UBC who have been investigating uh, the use of Pacific salmon as geochemical tracing tools, essentially. So again, we think of geochemists, we think of geology, we often sample rocks or we sample sediments, sand, clay, and then from there we measure uh, trace metals and metal isotopes. Um, and especially in the ocean, those can be really powerful indicators of what's going on in terms of pollution, in terms of natural sources. Um, so our idea is that fish also record these metals, they absorb them from their environment, um, and they can be mobile and they can be easier to access than dredging really deep sea sediments sometimes. So we're investigating if we can use these fish in the same way that we would use a rock uh, and try and, yeah, trace back where some of the metals in our ocean are coming from and if they are anthropogenic in nature, if we can identify ways that we might minimize those impacts is really the big, big picture, broad idea behind our work. And it's probably more environmentally friendly than dredging the the seafloor too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I hope it's maybe less resource intensive um, and can also be more collaborative, you know, even if at the end of the day, we still have to go out on a boat, which obviously takes resources, burns carbon. Um, if 
it can be a combined project between biologists and geochemists. And at the end, we only use one boat instead of everyone having their separate fleet. That in itself is a reduction. Um, and I am a firm believer that any reduction is worthwhile, even if we're not completely eliminating the problem. If we're making improvements, that's a massive step. So that is a hope as well. I, uh, I know that when people do a lot of work with a particular um, uh, food item, they tend to lose their taste for it. Do you still like salmon? <laughs> Did you ever? <laughs> uh, I do. I do like salmon. Um, at the moment, I still like salmon, although I will say that as geochemists, we tend to be on the um, the end side of the sampling. So we're not known for going out and catching our own fish or, you know, dissecting them into their fillets. We're often very lazy. We like people to bring us pre-prepared samples and then we work on them in the lab and um, everything. So, so far I've been very fortunate. I'm still I'm still keen on fish, but that may change. I can let you know how it goes. Um, definitely. At the end of your PhD, we'll revisit that question. Yeah, I, that maybe by then I'll, I'll definitely have an aversion to salmon. Now, um, one thing that I love about this uh, interview series has been hearing people talk about uh, their field stories. Uh, I've never gone to the field, but apparently it's this magical place where crazy things happen. Uh, so do you have any field stories that you'd care to share? Definitely. I like to refer to all of my field stories as um, type two fun, which is the kind of fun where it wasn't fun at the time, but looking back on it, it's amazing and I get a great laugh. And I think that's part of what, you know, is really amazing about field work. And you, I mean, you bond with people because obviously it can be quite daunting. It can be challenging conditions and you really, you get to know someone extremely well. Um, I think one of my <laughs> best or worst stories is that I did some mapping in Hawaii, which was amazing and a really cool experience. But we did a day of mapping these really famous green sand beaches. And obviously, if you're a tourist and you go there like a normal person, you actually pay the locals to drive you across the sand dunes in their truck to the beach. And then you enjoy the beach and you drive back. Us being geologists and being on this mapping expedition, thought that it would be more appropriate for us to walk the distance in along the coast through these sand dunes. And I have to say, I don't think I've ever been so warm in my life. Um, and I rolled up my hiking pants um, to below the knee to try and let some ventilation in. Uh, and I burnt the back of my calves in a non-even line, which did not fade for the entire rest of the year, I looked absolutely ridiculous because obviously I'd been wearing hiking boots and then I had this really weird section on my calf that was totally burnt and then brown in a tan. So that's one of my, I guess, painful but also fun field stories um, that I, I really enjoyed. I've also been water sampling, you know, in Alberta, in late October, you're sticking your hands in the cold water, you're thinking there is nothing that I would be rather doing, <laughs> you know, or there's nothing I would be rather doing so many more things than this, but you always get back and then you're like, oh, that was, that was really fun. It's fun to talk about where your fingers are thawing out for sure. <laughs> As someone who burns on a cloudy day, I, I can totally empathize with that and I've done it myself. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely... I was not built well for that trip. Um, Hawaii did not agree with me. Now, why do you do this work? Why is it important? Um, I mean, I do this work personally, I guess, out of both out of 
my own curiosity um, to understand how things work around us. I think the more I know about the world, the more I want to know. And I find that um, a really big draw in terms of this, you know, my work and the greater project I'm part of. Um, it's really about understanding our planet so we can help preserve it and so that we can make steps to protecting it, obviously for our future and other people's future. Um, I think it's really important with any kind of work of that nature, we need a baseline. Um, and so what one of the things we're hoping to achieve with my study and other studies of similar nature is even if my own results don't yield amazing earth shattering <laughs> conclusions, they should provide a baseline of measurements that then scientists in the future, if not me, can come back to down the line and we can compare. And, and if we have that baseline, it's then easier for us to tell if things are changing. And then that's a really big red flag for us to look into it. You know, why are things changing? Is it something we're doing? Um, if we don't know that, then we, we don't even know if a problem exists and we can't even start to think about how we might solve it. So that to me is the real reason why it's important to do, I mean, any kind of work, but especially. That's a really eloquent way of putting it. Um, and the race really is against the clock to get that baseline because things are changing as we speak. Absolutely. And I think we're, you know, we're lucky in some ways that uh, we've picked up on things that we have. You know, sometimes we've gotten lucky in that scientists in the past were just taking measurements just out of interest. And then they noticed those changing trends and they thought that's weird. And from that, we've um, built up our understanding of, of the impacts we're having. I mean, even things, you know, like nowadays we measure our carbon dioxide in the atmosphere um, and we know that that's a major greenhouse gas and a big, uh, we cause it by emissions. But initially, I think a lot of those, you know, people were just measuring the atmosphere. They were curious. And um, yeah, I just think it's really important to collect that data and to make sure that the data is good and robust and well-documented so that, again, no matter what I say in my own work, the data will be there for somebody else to come and, and use again. That's a great argument for pure science. Uh, you never know when this is going to be useful. And also something that people in museums uh, spend a lot of time thinking about too. Um, preserve as much as you can because you never know. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a really powerful analogy. And yeah, I, I think there's just at the end of the day, as much as people can say something's frivolous, um, if you're doing good science and you're taking good care, then yeah, you just never know what'll come of that. And there's, uh, you know, we, one of my favorite quotes is that um, we, you know, we get where we are because we've stood on the shoulders of giants. And I think it was actually Newton who who had that original quote. Um, and I think that's true in, in so many ways and in all of our learning, which is why museums are also so important because if we don't preserve what we've already learned and pass it on, then we're not really advancing ourselves um, from generation to generation. Now, you clearly have a passion for your work and love what you do. What's the best part of your work? What do you enjoy the most? Um, my favorite part of my work is actually getting to know others um, and working with others, which is why I'm particularly excited about the work that I'm able to do now. Um, you know, I... I think geology, as I already said, is amazingly cooperative and it can be interdisciplinary and um, all of those wonderful, wonderful things. And I think it's so exciting to meet people who are studying similar things, maybe even the same thing, but they're viewing it from a completely different lens. And 
you know, we can collaborate and they can say something that I never would have thought of. And I hope that maybe I can contribute something to them that will be equally as valuable. So that to me is, is really exciting about work. And, um, I mean, I'm a nerd. I, you know, I, I like spreadsheets. I find, I find the day-to-day tasks exciting as well, but, um, really talking with others and, and hearing about what they do and getting their opinions on different things is, is a super cool thing. Makes sense while you're, you're in such an interdisciplinary field. Um, you like working with people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, also I'm fortunate as a graduate student, you know, I get to uh, be a teaching assistant and connect with people in that way, which is a different relationship than you would have peer to peer, but also really exciting. Um, and, you know, being involved in things like this is, I definitely am a people person. And I think there's a lot of value in not just doing the work, but being able to share it and convey it. Because again, if if nobody knows about it, then it kind of defeats my earlier point of preserving something for the future that may be useful. Um, and just because it may be useful in the future doesn't mean that it can't be useful now. So the more that it gets out there and the more I learn, the more I can teach others, I think we're one step closer to improving ourselves. Yeah, you never know when someone's gonna have a, a really unique perspective on your work. Uh, that could change your trajectory. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Or even make it possible. I mean, again, we, you know, we don't go out and collect our own fish. So the basics of my own project would not be possible without the cooperation and the collaboration of so many others, which is just, to me, is even that much better. <laughs> now, um, not everything is sunshine and roses. Um, what's the worst part of your work or the most challenging part? Um, I find, especially as a you know, a new graduate student, a new researcher, I can put myself in that category. Um, I think independence is the most exciting, but also the most difficult challenge. Um, It's, you know, it's relatively easy to learn what somebody tells you to learn and do what somebody tells you to do. Uh, And it can be really, really scary to make that jump to taking the lead on your own work, making your own decisions, um, trying to connect the dots on something that there is no right or wrong answer to because nobody's ever done it before. Uh, And that can also, I think, be really scary in that you have to put yourself out there and you have to sort of come up with your own ideas and then put them forward for others to give their opinion. And sometimes their opinion is that you're not right, you know, And, and that is quite scary because you're really in a vulnerable position. But I think that's also such an exciting part of the challenge is to learn how to be, yeah, not just how to learn, but then how to be a researcher and how to innovate um, is very hard, but cool. You're not really working with the net because you have your grad supervisor, but the net's smaller and further away. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, yeah, and obviously you're not, you're never alone in it. Um, Especially as a grad student, you have peers and you have supervisors and, but it's still the first step on that that journey. And I think it's a big leap from ev- the way that most of your education is done, especially as a child. And then uh, even at the undergraduate level, it's a lot of reading from textbooks and learning things as if they are already known and, and they're set in stone. And it's very different in the world of research. Nothing in, in geochemistry is set in stone. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. And we dissolve stones. So even if it is, we'll, we'll get it out. We'll, you know, analyze it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Now, I'm curious, uh, do you identify as belonging to any underrepresented communities? And if so, uh, do you feel like that's impacted your work in any way? 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I assume people can hear from my voice if, <laughs> on the podcast. Um, I identify as a woman. And, and I think, unfortunately, women are still underrepresented in STEM fields in general. Um, I think geology specifically has a history of being not very diverse, um, both culturally and in terms of gender. So it's definitely something that I'm, I guess, pleased to be a part of changing. Um, personally, I've never been held back by that. And I feel extremely fortunate that I don't think that I've ever encountered roadblocks um, as a result of being a woman in STEM or in geology, which is amazing. I mean, the the community that I interact with is really diverse and welcoming. And I think that's exciting because it's representative of the base of the sciences. And I think a lot of STEM fields are, yeah, diverse at the undergraduate level, diverse in people coming up. Um, I do feel daunted as as a woman in like staying in academia. I think it is a very difficult path for anyone, uh, regardless of their circumstance, but especially um, the general systemic issue of it, and this is not related to one institution or even one field, is that uh, it's a, the, an extremely demanding career. Um, it's very time-based. It's publication-based. Uh, it often requires you to uproot and move on a regular basis, potentially all across the world, and that is quite difficult to balance with you know, other life goals and, and everything, which I know affects everyone, but I do feel like that can be particularly daunting for women in the field. And as a result of that, I think at the at the top level, women are still underrepresented, which is a shame because that means to me that despite our diverse base, um, it's, you know, something's driving people away from really reaching the top and succeeding. So uh, I do think that in general STEM fields could improve on that. Um, and yeah, and I hope to be, I guess, part of the change in, in any way that I can. Excellent. Yeah, you were saying earlier that um, uh, with the whole uh, publish or, or perish mentality of academia, uh, if a person wants to take off a year for reproductive re reasons, if they have a child, um, it can really impact their career. And um, of course, I'm not able to have a child because I don't have the right tools. Um, <laughs> and that falls often very, very much on women. Definitely. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's something that our society will always have to deal with because that's the nature of human reproduction. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, men and, and also struggle with in terms of taking paternity leave and spending time with their families. But unfortunately, for somebody who's in definitely a, a hands-on science, and I mean, a science that for me at the moment involves working in laboratories and potentially even, you know, if anyone handles any dangerous chemicals, you, there is a biological thing, even if you worked as much as possible, you will have to adapt, um, your, <laughs> your time. If you, if you are pregnant or you do choose to have a child in whatever way. So I think that's something that obviously society in general is adapting to, and we are making, massive improvement, but I I would suspect, I mean, for me, it's definitely a, a concern looking forward if I'm thinking about future careers and long-term goals that uh, is a worry and something that I think probably holds, holds some women back from really pursuing academia to the highest level. 
I certainly want to, wouldn't want to do uh, field work while pregnant. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, personally, no, I, I'm a wimp at the best of times. I know, obviously, there's amazing people out there and, and some of them make it work, but it definitely an unappealing uh, thing to do for a lot of people. Now, I'm curious. Um, again, you're just getting started in um, geochemist, uh, geochemistry, so um, everything's still shiny and new, but do you feel like it's an open and welcoming field or, or is it a little more closed and insular and uh, looks after their own? Um, I think I think it's really open and welcoming. Um, I think geochemistry is particularly fun because we draw people from different backgrounds, um, you know, even within within my own like sphere, I work with people who, like myself, did pure geology backgrounds and so have a ton of rock chemistry knowledge. We work with people who came from an environmental background and um, don't have that, but still adapt and obviously bring something new to the table. So I think it's quite welcoming. I think geology struggles sometimes because we it's not really taught um, at a high school level in most cases. So unless you take geology or took some courses in your undergrad or had a special interest, it can be difficult for somebody from the outside to get into. And I suppose like any science, it has its own terminology, its own language. And when you're in it, you rattle them off. So I I suppose from a truly exterior point of view, we might seem a little difficult to reach because of those boundaries. Um, But within the geosciences itself, I think geochemistry is awesome and very fun and very welcoming. That's a really interesting uh, point you made about how very few secondary schools teach uh, geology. And so that can be a barrier that's not imposed by the field, but it does certainly um, pose a barrier. Absolutely. And I remember taking my first geology classes and feeling so overwhelmed. I mean, there's there's just so much terminology and it's being thrown at you and it it can sap some of the fun out of it as well if if it's not taught right or even if it is and you're just sitting at home trying to memorize all of these nomenclature is really really challenging and that can be off-putting to people um and yeah I, I think it's if anything I think it is really important to show how geology really isn't that different from a lot of the other physical sciences. So even if you don't study it at high school, you understand the basics because you did chemistry and you did physics and you did biology. You know, you've people often talk about as we're kids, right? People talk about dinosaurs, you talk about planets, these subjects are exciting. So we do cover them. And I think a lot more people have an understanding of geology than they realize, but um, it's definitely a big barrier. And I, I wish that I'd studied some of it at high school I felt like I feel like that would have made my choice a lot easier and also made it less daunting to get started in it's funny when I took my um earth science undergrad course uh, the sole one <laughs> um, I remember they went over igneous metamorphic and sedimentary and I thought oh I know all those terms from like grade three or grade five <laughs> absolutely and I know that this is something you know we've discussed before is Um, it is something that's really often covered with younger children because, again, it's so tactile and you can look at rocks and you can hold them in your hand and, I know, dinosaurs are exciting and you can go out into the real world. and, And to be honest, those are the same things that make it exciting as an adult, right? And those are the same things that make it amazing to study, even if you're like me and you actually spend all of your day in a lab or looking at a computer screen and 
Um, you st it still has those real world implications, but I think for some reason that gets lost um, when you know you grow into a teenager and and a lot of the science focuses on other things. And people often come back to it, or I talk to people and they say, "Oh, I I recognize those terms," and they I used to love whatever as a kid, and you're like, absolutely that. And that does stick with people. I just think it would be amazing if we could continue that education a little further. I mean, obviously I'm biased because I love it and I'm passionate about it, but it is the study of our earth and our earth is, you know, our home. So um, I think it's so important for everyone to have a basic understanding of how our planet works. Now you mentioned that it's sometimes daunting when you're um, in a class and you're learning from home. Uh, I assume that's reference to COVID. Yeah, definitely. I suppose I was fortunate in that I was almost finished my undergrad degree by the time COVID started. Um, so I definitely had an easier time with it than people that came in to university during that time. Um, but I think I see a theme, it seems so far of everything I've been saying is the community and the peers. And although working virtually is great in some regards because without the travel component, it is easier to collaborate with people abroad um, on a smaller scale. I think personally, I I really struggled in any of my work, be it studying or um, yeah, research, just not, not being able to stick your head into somebody's office and go for a coffee. And as you're going chat and I know bounce ideas off of them, brainstorm, um, for me made it really difficult and i'm i'm definitely happy you know vaccinated mask wearing but to be able to be back in some semblance of normal and to have some of those interactions again mm -hmm. and i mean you moved in the middle of covid and started a whole new program so i did yeah and i again i was sort of fortunate by the time i moved um things were on the getting better which was a big relief but that um that was also yeah a, a, a different interesting time to be, to move for sure you'll have stories when you're um taking on your own students i'm sure oh definitely you know the the back in my day um we'll be coming back with a vengeance for sure absolutely now you have painted a very inspiring picture of geochemistry and your work uh what background or courses uh, or experience would you recommend to young people who may be wanting to follow in your footsteps uh chemistry, obviously, as a biased geochemist. Um, I think a strong background in chemistry will help anyone understand really so many processes. And that to me is not limited to geochemistry, but I, I really think that that's um, a massive foundation. I would also say, you know, I think anything computational uh, is a really big asset and something that I have realized as I've gone through um, is extremely valuable but gets a little bit skipped over. You know, it's not necessary. I mean, I never took any programming com programming computational courses and I've managed to self-learn and there's a lot of resources out there for that. But I think it when you're in geoscience and you get so caught up in looking at the rocks and learning about every single thing that's happening on our planet, uh, it gets skipped over until you're sat down in front of a computer trying to run a simulation or even do, you know, calculations in Excel and you think, oh, I, I don't actually know how to do this. And then you have to take the time to go learn it. So I think that's a really powerful tool. Um, geoscience, geochemistry is like data driven. We deal with huge volumes of data usually. So if anyone 
has those skills or is like really keen on getting into it, I think that's an excellent asset just to save yourself time down the line because you will learn it one way or another. <laughs> that's good news for someone like me who's a bit of an idiot. Um, <laughs> you can learn it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely not a requirement. Um, but if I could go back and change one thing, I would have started earlier uh, rather than trying to figure it out on my own. What was the most important course that you took? Not to sound like a broken record, but chemistry <laughs> um, was was really important. I think the first time I took a specific geochemistry course, I would have been uh, two or three years into my two years into my undergrad, and it just really helped me draw all these things together. Um, other concepts that I'd been taught that I kind of understood, but I wasn't totally sure about them, and then when it was explained from that basic building block level, why things are happening, why we observe what we do, um, it just, everything really clicked for me. Um, so obviously that's a key one, but I think also taking field courses or even taking courses that had a field component, an optional field trip one day to do some sampling, uh, to view a field site is amazing. Um, it's it's so motivating to get outside. You meet people, like I said earlier, you really connect with people when you're not sitting in the classroom. Um, and it was, it's extremely motivating to see things applied in the real world. I think to touch and hold your science is a tactile sensation. Well, it's also important to make sure that that's something you want to do. The worst thing would be to um, graduate with a degree which requires you to do a lot of field work. And then you realize, I hate field work. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, geoscience is awesome because it is so broad. If, you know, if what you're really passionate about is coding and you want to sit in front of the computer all day, there is a space for you in geoscience because we need people like that. But it is also true that there's a lot of outdoor fieldwork components and certain career paths that really that is what you do. So it, it is good to test that out first. And I found my own limits. I love the outdoors. Um, do I want to spend you know, six months of the year with no cell service in a remote area, that's not for me. Um, and that did help narrow down my field of vision of where in geoscience I wanted to end up and where in geochemistry. Oh, six months, no social media. That does sound nice. Yeah, I think that would probably be quite refreshing and, and good for obviously the mental health. But um, I think I'd, I'd be sad being cut off from, from everything. Now you're just getting started with your master's. Um... And good luck to you with that. Um, I'm curious, has anyone really been an inspiring figure to you? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm always inspired by my peers, my instructors. Um, I've had a couple of really amazing instructors in the past who have, I don't know, somehow turned even the most boring like equations on a page into something that I, I can see the real world applications of. I took... Um, in my last semester of my undergrad, a hydrology course, which is the study of how water moves through the ground. And it's quite physics-y and it's quite math heavy. And I came away from that course just so passionate about, again, protecting our resources, um, learning about how we drill and where we drill and, you know, what regulations are in place because the instructor of that course was just so good at connecting it to our real world and, and it being inspiring with hope as well. You know, sometimes it, if you're on the environmental side, it's easy to get a little caught up in the doom and gloom, but 
to show how it is possible to live sustainably and, and how in a lot of places that work is being done. So that kind of thing for me is really inspiring. Wonderful. And who's your supervisor right now? Uh, my supervisor is Dr. Dominique Weiss. Uh, yeah, she's um, a professor here at UBC and uh, head of PCIGR. She's a powerhouse. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, she's obviously a, also a very inspirational woman. Uh, and yeah, a woman leading the field, which is really cool. And I, I know that's one one of many reasons why people flock to her. And I think it's not a surprise that um, the department and the geochemistry department here is very diverse, in fact, and to my earlier point, has a massive cohort of, you know, genders and ethnicities because somebody like Dominique really uh, draws, yeah, draws you to that and she makes it possible. You can see how somebody is really achieved. Now, um, again, you're at the beginning of your career, but I'm curious. Let's take a look to the end. What would you like to be your legacy when you retire or what do you want written on your career's tombstone? That's, yeah, that's a really good one. I... Personally, I don't have an idea or a goal for where I'd like to end up career-wise yet, so it's a little tricky to answer, but I suppose I'll fall back on the the thing that I, I hope that no matter what I do, I, you know, I do good science. Um, I try to be thorough when I can. I don't cut corners. Um, I record everything. Uh, I make like sound ethical decisions so that if nothing else, if my conclusions and the assumptions I make today or in the next few years are flawed, um, that I can look back and others can look back and say, well, you know, the scientific principle was adhered to and um, that'll be that'll be a success, I think. You're certainly a good fit with Dominique. <laughs> Thank you. I, I hope so. Uh, finally, I find that uh, our world is changing, not just like the physical world, but also uh, the human aspect of the world. And a field that a person enters at the beginning of their career can be completely different uh, by the time they retire. So where do you see geochemistry going? And what advice do you have for young people uh, to anticipate some of those changes? Yeah, that's that's also a really great question. Um, I suppose it's a little weird for me to answer that, given that I haven't been in haven't been in geochemistry very long at all. So I, um, I guess I, to me, it is all still quite new and, and revolutionary. I think that again, the shift towards employing computational methods, you know, better data processing, um, our analytical techniques are always improving in so many amazing ways. So I, I really hope that geochemistry continues to be at the forefront of science and continues to be. Uh, really relevant. I think maybe I'm biased, but I think projects like I work on that are interdisciplinary and have an environmental focus, even a human health focus, um, will be really prominent in the future. And I think more and more geochemists are coming to be recognized, not just for the amazing work they do, but for their general expertise in uh, taking great measurements and and that more and more other researchers from other fields will be collaborating with geochemists um, because no one else really does what we do, you know, and nobody else has the equipment and the experience. So I guess my advice for anyone interested in geochemistry would just be to get in it, you know, pursue your passions. Don't worry too much about taking the perfect courses or having the perfect background. Like variation in geochemistry seems to be 
really powerful. And at the end of the day, if you come willing to think outside the box and, you know, be careful, be make precise measurements, then you're, you're going to be in a good spot. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it sounds like the, the field is getting more diverse uh, from a scientific perspective. And then also as to what you were talking about before, it seems to be getting more diverse with the scientists that it's getting as well. I think so. I mean, I definitely, yeah, entering it now as a grad student, I have to say it's, it's amazing. There's so many people from, yeah, from all around the world and um, with so many different histories and backgrounds, people like me who've come straight out of their undergrad, people who are coming back to the field after, you know, years and years working in industry or working in something that seems on the surface completely unrelated. So uh, I think it's a, a really exciting time. I think it's an exciting time to be in science, an exciting time to be in STEM, and especially in the geosciences. Um, I think there's like a bright future ahead of us. For Wonderful. Well, thank you for everything. Uh, those are all my questions. Did I miss anything or is there anything you wanted to add before I let you go? No, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I feel I'm so flattered um, to be, that anyone wants to listen to what I have to say. Um, and yeah, and I would say I know I'm really excited by the work that you're doing at the museum. And again, I think education is, yeah, a really important part of and at the core of geosciences because we are looking to learn how our earth works. So we want to share that with everyone. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all of your uh, passion and your um, really great way of uh, explaining things. Uh, you turn something that sounds admittedly quite dull, like geochemistry, and you make it <laughs> something that's really quite interesting um, and fun and hopefully uh, something that people will want to go into in, in the future. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge, our editor Mel Woods, and Ollie Beebe designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Canadian Geological Foundation. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca learn podcast or listen on Spotify Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week, here on Earth.